This is the first. Ooh, wow, I like it. This is the one Russ has been wearing. And I went to change it out, and I'm technologically challenged. So we're going to use this one and see how it does this morning. So, Welcome, everyone. Glad that you're here. Uh, warm week ahead of us. Hey, uh, yeah, a little snow coming. So I will say, and I haven't mentioned this to Tony, but they're saying up to 10 or 12 inches today. Seven or eight is probably what we're looking But just pay attention to your emails and texts because we could make a change tonight if there's a heavy snowstorm. Because what I define as heavy, don't worry, Tony's going to balance me out. He's been here long enough. But just pay attention tonight uh, because if we are getting, you know, 10 or 12 inches by midnight, that would be a lot, even for Alaska. Yes, sir. Well, and that's what, I, so the, the heaviest snow, well, we did have one 12 inch that actually they predicted 10 to 12, but the heaviest snow was they predicted an inch, and we got nine inches in eight hours at the base. Um, and so I was looking for that Alaska ruler because mine didn't work the way they were. You're right about that. All right. Let's start with a, a word of prayer this morning. Loving Father, we thank you for a day that you've given us, a day of life breath that we have this morning as we awake and an opportunity to come and spend time in your word in a little while lord we'll get together as a family to worship you and we're thankful for that opportunity we pray that what we do here this morning glorifies you what we do here this morning uplifts one another and then we're encouragement to one another as you've commanded us to be lord if the weather does change or if we do get snow we pray for safety and we pray uh, that you'll keep each of us as we're traveling today tomorrow the next few days to work and back or to church and back safe we thank you, Lord, at this time for a time to study your word. Pray that you'll bless our discussion, that you'll speak to us through your word, and that we'll listen to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hopefully we're going to end up in Joshua chapter 7 here in just a minute. I will say I'm, I'm sorry we're a little late. Some of you may think, oh, they just moved. We moved Friday and yesterday, and so it took longer to get here. Well, arguably it took about one minute longer to get here, but it was the 40 minutes this morning of going to a drawer and realizing, oh, that's not the right drawer, and then going to this end of the closet and realizing that's a dress, that's my wife's dress, it's not my coat. Uh, and that's what Emily said she put in about two miles this morning just walking around the master bedroom and bathroom trying to figure out where everything was. So I apologize I didn't get here a little earlier and get prepared. We're still unboxing. Um, I'm done. I, it was quick and easy for me. Had to find out where to put the footstool and the remote, and for some reason I was done. Emily has a lot to do, though. She's got a lot to work on, so we're working on that. Um, before we get into today's study, since I know Wednesday night's been talking about some things, and then we're, we're going to be talking as we move over the next few months some things here. So let me ask a question unrelated to the study. What is it we do here on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock? What is it we come to do? Bible study. I noticed you didn't say worship, because I hear that a lot. We come to 9 o'clock to worship. We don't. And so one of the things we'll talk about over the next few weeks is making sure we know what we're doing, why we're doing it, or are we reaching those goals. Wednesday night's a classic example. What do we come together to do on Wednesday nights? Yeah, it's not worship, and I hear that all the time. We're coming together Wednesday to worship. Well, we can change that, but that's not why we come together Wednesday, because where do we spend our time? Right? We spend 45 minutes in Bible study. We spend 10 minutes in a Devo, half of which is Bible study. So what do we come here to do at 10 a.m.? Oh, now that's a good worship and fellowship are the two words I heard. Which is more important? 
Yes. If you come to worship and you don't fellowship, you failed. If you come to fellowship and you don't worship, you failed. See, there's a difference. We use the word worship and we use it incorrectly a lot, okay? Because I've heard people say, I'm sure you've heard this, I've used this. All of our lives should be a worship to God, correct? That's not true. But that is, we say it all the time, right? When you read that statement, what it should say is, all, our, all of our lives should be acceptable to God. And the idea is, I'm offering my life up acceptably. It is not worship. When I sleep at night, that's not worship. When I drive my car, that's not worship. Let's get, when I go to the bathroom, when I work, that's not worship. My life should be acceptable. It should be an acceptable offering, but it is not worship. Because I've heard people say that as to why they haven't come. Well, everything we do is worship. I don't need to be together. There is a need for us to come together worship, as the Apostle Paul calls it. It is separate than anything else you can do in your life alone. Yes, ma'am. Right, and it's a bad song. Let all my steps be worship. It is not. Everything you do is not worship. Your entire life is not worship. That's a good point. Let all my steps be worship. There's a lot of songs we sing. You don't have a mansion in heaven either, but that's a different discussion. We can go through that. That was never said in the scriptures, in case you're wondering. You have a room in God's house, not a mansion. But Anyway, so I want to make sure as we talk about, over the next few months, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, how are we going to bring people in? I want to make sure we know we're doing what we're doing for the right reasons. And if we want to change that, nothing says Wednesday night has to be Bible study. Nothing says it can't be worship. Nothing says it can't be fellowship. Nothing says we have to do Wednesday night. I'm not. I like Wednesday nights. I'm not going to do away with Wednesday nights. Tony. Okay. But I want us to realize there's a difference in a lot of what we do compared to what we do when we come together on Sunday as a family and we do come together worship. Come together worship is a special time. It is to do two things, and it's determined by the audience. Who is the audience in our come together worship? First one's pretty easy. God, but is he the only audience? And I hear that, right? No. We are commanded to come together and encourage one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? When you look at 1 Corinthians 14, it is obvious... Okay? It is obvious God is not the only person that matters in our worship. In Corinthians, why does the Apostle Paul tell them, if you can speak in tongues and it's the most beautiful gift in the world, but there's no interpreter, sit down and be quiet. you telling me God can't interpret what the person's saying? God can't understand it? No, because God's not the audience when we come together. God is the audience and we are the audience. So we need to make sure as we start talking about over the next few months when we're, trying to, when we're trying to attract the world. Now some of you are getting nervous. Don't get nervous. I'm not asking for major changes. I will not worship somewhere that has an instrument. I won't. I believe it is sinful. I will not worship somewhere that has women up in that podium leading prayers or leading singing. I think it's sinful. I don't just think it's a difference of opinion. I think it's sinful and I think I can defend that in the scriptures very easily. So don't think that Stephen's saying we're going to, you know, now that he's an elder. No, 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 no. But what I want us to do is when we talk about on Wednesday night with our Bible study, when we talk about with men's meetings, when we talk about with congregational meetings, we're going to have some times where we talk about our Sunday morning worship. I want us to remember what we're doing and why we're doing it. If everything we do is not to encourage one another, 1 Corinthians 14 says, why are you doing it? 
Why does he limit it to only two or three people giving a prophecy? God can't sit through three hours of people talking. God can't discern 20 different messages because God's not what he's worried about. It's the audience sitting in the seats. Okay? So make sure we don't shortchange ourselves. As long as God's pleased, well, God will be pleased if we're encouraging one another and we're doing it reverently, right? I think Jesus uses two words to describe the way I worship. God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. Which one is more important? I grew up in a world where truth is all that mattered. And God's saying, your lips are praising me, but your heart's far from me. If we don't hit them both. So, as we talk about things, and you get uncomfortable because we have four songs and then a sermon and the Lord's Supper afterwards, it has no bearing. Or you think that the Lord's Supper and the communion have to be right next to each other? No, it doesn't. Okay? We're going to make sure we're doing the right things for the right reasons, but we're going to do it for the people in the audience that glorifies God. We're doing it for both audiences, and that is per God's command. 1 Corinthians 14 doesn't exist if God's the only object of our Sunday morning worship. He's the only one we're worshiping, but we're here as a family because we're worshiping as a family. Come together, worship is different. I can worship in my own life. That doesn't meet God's requirements, though. I am to come together with a family. As Paul says that come together, worship, right? When you come together to worship. And that is something we must do. That's why I can't stay home online and meet God's requirement because I didn't come together to worship. Can I do that when I'm sick? Can I do that when I'm traveling? Can I do that if I'm a shut-in? Absolutely. Can I do that because I'm lazy? No. Okay. So we're going to talk about some things over the next few months. Please make sure if we talk about Wednesday nights, if we talk about Bible class time before or after, if we talk about our worship, that you know why we're there and what's the purpose, right? Our come-together worship is different than what we do during this 9 a.m. time. It's different than what we do on Wednesday nights. Any questions about that? Responses? Yes, sir. So the first century rabbis believed that study was more important than worship. However, that study was something they did in their personal lives. Correct. Worship is something they did in their personal lives, but it is a time they came together. The rabbis would have been at the temple, but the Christians would have been as a family. I agree. Um, If you don't have the basics, you're not going to get the truth part. I agree with that. Uh, Danny, I saw you. Yes, Abraham. And that's a great example. So when Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, he tells the servants and those with him, you stay here. We're going there to do what? There's a specific place and time they're going to worship. So, well, if everything I do is worship, why do I need to go there? Everything I do is not worship. My entire life is not worship. That's not what that means when it talks about my life being an acceptable sacrifice to God. It doesn't mean... When I sleep at night, I'm worshiping God. Woo-hoo. That's not true. Okay.
Yeah, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not talking about your worship service. It's talking about service you offer to God in your life. So, agreed. Yes, ma'am. So I would say the Godhead. I apologize. Thank you, Marilyn. So God, we, can we worship Jesus? Is he God? And boy, we can get complicated. And then, of course, there's that whole, there's a book out there. It's not a, I hate the writer who wrote it. Well, that was, I apologize. I dislike the writer who wrote it. He has some unscriptural views. I should not have said that that way. Uh, but the forgotten God. But for Christians, the Holy Spirit is one that we get really nervous, you know. We don't worship the Holy Spirit. Well, if you worship Jesus, it's the same as worshiping the Holy Spirit. It's the same as worshiping God. The Godhead is the Godhead. Now, if you can explain the Godhead to me succinctly, you can't, by the way. You can try. I've heard every... Good luck, because we're not intended down here to understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the God, and God is God, and Jesus was God, but Jesus was fully man. Yeah, I don't get it either. I do. I get it enough because God told me. But to understand how they are one and separate is a is a challenge, and that's okay. It's okay to be challenged by that this side of heaven. So, good comments. Anything else? All right. Oh, go ahead, Tony. I didn't hear the very beginning. So, oh. Yes, so yeah, there is a difference between, a, I like that, the babe in Christ, as, as Hebrews would, would versus a, a mature Christian. It doesn't mean the babe in Christ is failing at worship, right? And that's kind of what you're getting at. If they are worshiping in truth, they may not have the full understanding, and that's okay. It's not expected as a babe in Christ, right? And I will say that, again, one of the things that I've done very poorly is when I look at people that want to come into Christ or want to become a Christian, I almost feel like they have to be able to take a written exam, right? Because, see, uh, they've got some sin in their life that they have to get under control. No, 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 no. We, we make that mistake. The addict comes in and says, I want to be a Christian. We say, well, when you get sober, you can be a Christian. But we don't tell the gospel when they quit gossiping, they can be a Christian. We don't tell the worldly when they quit spending that much on a car or a house, they can be a Christian. And there's no difference to God, right? So we do have to be careful. That babe in Christ that understands what it means to be a Christian, may not be able to turn away from all their... They're trying. They're trying to do away. But the idea that they have to meet a standard before they can become a Christian is not what I see here. If they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they're ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and they're ready to be a Christian if they understand what that means. But they're still homosexual. Yeah, and we're going to work on that. But they're still in prison. That's a bad place to be, but that doesn't mean they can't be a Christian. Liz, don't you go over and worship with or try to talk to some women that... Yes. Do they have to have everything right and be out on parole before we could... No, of course not. Yeah. So, yeah, so the babe in Christ for worship is the same thing. They may not understand fully what we do and why we do it. They're trying, but their worship is very pleasant to God. So, good comment. Anything else? All right. Joshua 7. So last week, oh, one more thing, in two weeks, so this week is, what is today, the 27th, 28th, thank you, 28th is today. Next week I'll be here Sunday morning, so I'll be teaching class. The following week I'm traveling, so if there's somebody who could take that class, I'll put it out there again, it gives you two weeks to prepare. You're welcome to teach on a story that I have listed, you're welcome to do your own thing, 
So I can give you some guidance, and you may say, I got my own topic. I'll leave it up to you. But if there's somebody, if you'll think about that, some man who's willing to do that. Um, if not, probably this week I'll start. You might want to start avoiding me if you're capable, because I might start eyeing you across the room. So, All right. So last week, uh, the Israelites took over Jericho. And was it a close battle? No. Did they have to do much? I mean, they put a few steps on their feet, right? They conquered Jericho. It was great. So we get to the next. Jericho's this great, mighty fortress. All of these walls, it's powerful. We get to the next city. It's called Ai. It's kind of weak. Not a lot going on there. No huge walled fortress that we can see. So what do the Israelites do? We took over this big, great city. Now we got this puny city. Ooh, they started thinking. Yeah, so when we get to Joshua chapter 7, they're about to go out to battle. And they just dominated. I mean, they're this dominant force. Who can stop them? So they send up a few spies. They get a report that says, what do the spies tell them? Anybody remember this spy report? Oh, yeah. Russ said it. They're so weak. Why don't you take part of the army and give them the day off? Take part of the army. They can train. And this little part over here, we're going to send them. And they'll, they're, going to, they're going to wipe it out, right? It's not even going to be close. Look at what we did to Jericho. Does it go the way they thought it was going to go? Does it end up like they thought it was? I mean, they just wiped out Jericho. There's no problem here, right? There's no obstacle in their way. They got routed. That's right, Clarence. In fact, there are 36 soldiers that get killed in the open plains coming back as they're retreating. Now, before we get into what caused it, let me ask this. Where do we see Joshua seeking guidance where does Joshua go for his battle plan here oh yeah let's, let's send out some army spies right so Joshua sends out some army spies well how well did that go the first time they sent out spies into the land of Canaan did those spies really lead them well anybody remember that cost a couple million people their lives in 40 years in the wilderness yeah so by all means let's repeat this mistake let's send these guys out that are brilliant and send them to the next city who planned the Jericho well, it was Joshua right Joshua is the general of the army he planned out Jericho and it was an amazing siege and battle no who planned out Jericho God who planned out Ai Man, Joshua, yeah. So they get routed in Ai. And before we go any further, <laughs> man, arrogance will always lead to problems. Now, you may not say, we don't know that Joshua was arrogant. Well, we know he took it upon himself to lead this next battle. We know he trusted the, the input of men, and we at no point see that he asked God what I should do. Do you think, so God knew, right? Does anybody know why they're defeated? You remember why they're defeated? What's going on in the background? We have some sin going on in the people. 
God knew that already. Do you think God would have withheld that if Joshua would have said, Now, God, we've got this next city, and I want to make sure we're doing your will. Do you think God would have gone, Yeah, y'all go out and let 36 innocent people die? Or do you think he'd have said, Joshua, you got a problem? Because that's what he says when Joshua comes back and bows before him. He says, you got a problem. You've got sin among your people. And you've got to get rid of that. Joshua says, why did you forsake me? He said, I'm not with you. You've got sin among your people. Had Joshua asked God, I think he could have saved 36 lives. 36 soldiers that died unnecessarily. So God says, you have sin among you. And we learn about this man. Unfortunately, it's the only time we see about him. And what's his name? Achan. Yeah. Remember the instructions for Jericho? What were they instructed to do? Destroy it all except gold and silver and keep that for yourselves, right? They had specific instructions. Those are going to be devoted to God. Okay? Destroy everything else. Now, in ancient times, if Achan goes into battle and they defeat a country, does Achan have a right to take things from that city? Yeah. Yeah. That would, he has the right to those spoils. He has the right as the victor. But God had given another instruction. They wanted certain things devoted to him. And everything else was to be destroyed. And what we see is Achan took a lot. Five shekels of gold. Five shekel weight is what they're implying here. It's a big chunk of gold that's hidden by a garment and some silver. This is a lot. This is not 50 bucks. And this is a lifetime's worth of earnings that he took. And he hid it beneath his tent. So God says to Joshua, I'm going to show you. Uh, who the problem is and he brings the tribes and he separates out the tribe of Judah then he brings the clans then he brings the households and he gets all the way down to this man Achan who admits that he sinned and he says underneath my tent or in my tent in the ground is some gold and silver and some fine garments that I took they bring it out they burn what they found and then they kill Achan and see Achan's the one that sinned so nobody else suffered for it right that's right, David. They killed everybody in his family. The women, the children. Now, is that fair? Did those kids sin? Do we have any evidence that the wife knew what was going on? That the grandkids knew what was going on? Did they literally kill a two-year-old or a one-year-old or a newborn baby because of his sin? We don't know who all was but we know a bunch were killed that had nothing to do with the sin. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah. You know, Russ is bringing back Joshua's complaint to God. You know, we were so happy on the other side of the Jordan, God. You remember the Red Sea? God... We were, oh, we were so happy in Egypt. Were there not enough graves there? Is that why you brought us out here to die? Remember when they didn't have meat? We sat around in Egypt and we had more meat to eat than we knew what to do with. And now you're going to starve us to death out here? Remember without the water? 
we were growing crops with these fertile fields, had water everywhere, now you're going to let us die of dehydration? You seeing a common theme? We think back to the way things were. Do we often accurately remember the way things were? Yeah, 100% of the time. Yeah, I would answer you right. 100% of the time we don't. That is correct. Yeah. I always love it when people talk about the good old days, right? Now, are there good things about times past? Sure. Sure. But they weren't what we think. We had a lot of complaints too, right? So in my job, I've seen lots of hospital or, or health systems go through a transition with electronic health records. If you work in medicine, you know that electronic health records, everybody hates them, right? The IT people don't like them because they didn't design them, but they're having to upkeep them. The nurses and the doctors and the pharmacists and the providers had nothing to do with their design, and they slow them down. Nobody likes them. So the number one complaint I had when I was with the Defense Health Agency was this new electronic medical record system. Before that, you, before they put out the new electronic medical record system, you know what the number one complaint was with, in the Defense Health Agency? The old electronic medical record system. But that one's only been out for about eight years. So you know what the number one complaint was before that one? The previous electronic medical. But when you go to the new one, oh, we liked the old one so much. Why did you give us this new one? Really? Because I've got 140 emails last month from people that hated the old one. Right? We forget, don't we? But as Christians, we do the same thing. Don't you remember the good old days when, the church, when, when this country was a Christian nation and everybody went to church? That's never existed in this country, right? That's never existed. Sin has been here since day one. This was not a Christian nation. It was not founded as a Christian nation. And the majority of people were not active Christians even when they claimed. In fact, it's been 200 years since the majority of people went to church regularly. But no way. that It is. Going to Mass once a month is not going to church regularly, Okay. But in the good old days, we could walk down the streets and everybody was preaching on the street corner because everybody was a Christian. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. This church, you know, we had 10,000 people coming to church. No, you didn't. I'm not saying things were bad. But instead of comparing what we have to the good old days, how about we go to God? And we say, God, what do you want us to have? What do you want us to be? As a nation, as a people, as a country, maybe as a church, as a family, so the good old days, yeah, there were good things about them. There were bad things about them. My grandmother used to say, I love the good old days, except it took seven hours to cook for lunch. <laughs> he said, it was great until I had to wash those dishes and hang out the laundry. Oh, those were great days. Well, not everybody had the same opinion. If you built a house with a handsaw and a hammer, and made your own nails, you probably didn't like the good old days compared to today, do you? All right? Well, that's good. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, he, he says, you know, remember this is a person, right, who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. He had everything at his disposal. Wealth, power, sex, women, and he has a lot of wisdom. And the preacher says, don't ask, why are those good old days? Where are those good old days? Don't you remember the good old days? 
What was the end of that verse? It was because you don't even know the good old days. Is that it's you do not you you shouldn't even inquire wise things concerning this, correct? Not wise, yeah. In other words, God's saying you shouldn't even ask about the good old days. Nothing wrong with women, but that's not why God, why aren't this? Why we were across the Jordan and it was great, God. It was wonderful. And there's two reasons. One is it's a sign of discontentment, right? It's just a sign of discontentment, a sign of not relying on God. But number two is God had something better for him. You like that place across the Jordan? I've got the promised land for you. I didn't want you to be in Egypt. I didn't want you to be across the Jordan. I wanted you to be right here, right now for this purpose. There's a reason I put you here. You don't even realize how good the promised land is. So, I like that, yeah. We loved Egypt, God. Why did you take us away? Yeah, you go back and they said, God, who's going to rescue us from our torment? God, we're slaves. Why have you forgotten about us? When is God going to bring us up out of Egypt? We loved Egypt. All right. So, um, so we see the story of Achan. What are some of the lessons when you think about Joshua going into AI? They're defeated. We see sin as the underlying problem. We see the punishment for that sin. What are the lessons you might learn from this? Or we might learn from the story of AI and Achan? So, um, I like the term we're arrogant, but I think of one of my favorite verses, and it's in the story of Job. And Job, remember how he finally is like, God, why are you doing Remember about chapter 40, 41, 42, and he goes before God, and he starts really questioning, why are you doing it? You remember God's first response, and I sort of paraphrase it. Um, Who is this that darkens my counsels with words without wisdom? In other words... All right, you ready? And he says, gird your loins and get ready, for I'm about to question you. You know what God's saying? All right, you want to question me? Get ready. Get ready. Here it comes. Yeah, and that's right. They kept not just questioning God, but doubting God. We can't take the promised land. We can't get across the Red Sea. How are we going to get across the Jordan? We just got defeated at AI. We're doomed. We can't eat in the wilderness. We have no meat. We have no water. Not just questioning, but doubting God and that's really it's not just God we loved it there it was God we don't trust you we don't trust that you can do what we want to do Danny yeah and he goes for about four or five chapters where he's like you ready where were you when I drew the uh, ocean and said come to this point but go no further where were you when I raised the mountain I love that section yes because I get that way in my life God why is it I mean, my job, my health, my family's health. And then I think, ooh, God's got a lot bigger picture than I do, doesn't he? (laughs) And I really don't want to be in that spot where he says, who is this that darkens my counsels with words without wisdom? You know, that is, Russ is talking about the fact that God's going to show who sinned. 
at some point, aren't you in the back going, um, ooh, he got that right. Ooh, he's, it's me, it's me. Yeah. So um, my brother was 24, living at my parents' house. And he came home one day. And my mom said, Jonathan, are you smoking? No, I'm not smoking. Are you sure, Jonathan, you're not smoking? No, I'm not smoking. You haven't, you haven't smoked any? No, okay. Three times she asked him. He says no. She waits a little while and she goes, Jonathan, now you're telling me you haven't smoked any. You're not smoking any here. No. So today in this house, you haven't smoked. Afterwards, I said, Jonathan, she knew before the first question. What in the After the fifth, she's like, I found your cigarette butt in the toilet because it didn't flush. Oh, yeah, I smoked. I'm like, she knew five questions ago. Think about it. God knew the answer. So when it, you would have thought Aiken would have gone, oh, we're in trouble. Hey, it was me. And I wonder, would there have been a different response? I don't know. We don't know. God was going to clearly make an example of him. But had Aiken bowed down, humbled himself, because we see what happens in Jonah when they humble themselves. They save from destruction. You know, had Achan bowed down, humbled himself, confessed before it was ever pointed out, it's me, would he have saved his family's lives? I don't know. But he sure didn't go after it, did he? He waited, because in fact it says until Achan is before Joshua. And he says, Joshua says, tell me what you did. It wasn't even like, okay, I know why I'm here. It was, hey Joshua, how are you? No, why don't you tell me what you did? Yeah. <laughs> so, is okay probably the one one of the most common questions I get from people who are struggling in in Christianity or struggling with the concept of God and I get this in the world a lot I get this even in my family a lot why do bad things happen to good people Tony anybody ever asked you that question it's probably one of the most common questions we get philosophically why do bad and I'm sure most of you have gotten that as a Christian why do bad things happen to good people there are dozens of deaths right here that happened through no fault of their own. So give me some reasons why bad things might happen to good people. Sin. I, I heard somebody say it. I don't know. Sin. First of all, sin. Let's make sure we understand that. Sin is in this world. And it could be two reasons. One, it could be my sin. Right? I can have bad things in my life because of my sin. But let's make it very clear. I can have bad things in my life because of others' sins as well. Someone who decides they want to rob a bank and steal something and they point a gun and shoot somebody, that person now pays a price because of this person's sin. It's not fair, but that's something that happens to him. Oh, I like that. Yes, who gets to define what the word good means? Well, my mom, who is about to turn 80, has multiple myeloma. That's horrible. Really? She's in a failing body. She's been a Christian woman for her entire life. She's raised a Christian family. Is that bad? Is it good? Because she'll tell you, I'm ready to be with God, but I'm going to spend time with my grandkids as long as I can. She doesn't say kids. She says grandkids. She takes that for what it's worth. But, but she'll tell you. And my dad said the same thing when he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. He got all of his children around, and he said, I've lived a Christian life the best I think I can, and I'm not perfect. But I believe God has a place for me in heaven. So at some point, this is probably going to take my life and that's okay. I'm ready to be with God. Well, is that health problem a bad thing or a good thing? Well, I would say it's neither. 
your job, you lose your job. Your relationship, you lose your relationship. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about you may not suffer because of it or you may not be hurt because of it, but that's not the definition of good or bad. When I take a one-year-old and smack their hand before they reach the oven, that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing for them, even though it hurt, because they aren't going to touch that hot stove. There are times God redirects us. There are times God uses us. Money is not necessarily a blessing, and in most people's life, it is a bad thing when you get more money. Most people, the richer they get, the less likely they are to be a faithful Christian. Not across the board. I know lots of rich, faithful Christians, but I know lots and lots and lots and lots that let it get between them and God. Money tends to be a bad thing, yet we view it as good. Power, jobs, right? I tell people, I think most of you know I had an opportunity for a job, a career, that was going to take me away from here five months ago. I was going to go to San Antonio. I was already doing the job, and I'll just tell you, I was managing almost $16 billion a year and almost 15,000 people. I had a great job. I had people, yes, sir. I walked in the room, everybody stood. It was not a good thing. It would not, I don't believe, I could be wrong, but I don't believe it was going to be a good thing for me. One is, you may not know this, but surgeons tend to have an ego, and when you give them a lot of power, it can be a corrupting thing. Two is it was going to take me away from the work I was doing here, which is why Emily and I came here. Three is I was going to be traveling 60% of the time, which is not what I thought I needed to do with my life. But this is a great job and a great promotion. That doesn't make it good. Tim's exactly right. What we define as good as bad is not what God defines as good and bad. So when bad things happen to good people, let's clarify what bad is. Okay, Danny? So in other words, God can use the bad, we'll use that, right, the general term, bad things that happen in my life to prepare me to help someone else or to encourage someone else. How could, how could we relate to Christ if no bad things happen? That is my number one defense about why do bad things happen to good people. There's nobody that's been perfect on this world but Jesus. Did anything bad happen to him? If God is not going to spare his only son from suffering... What kind of arrogance does it take in my life to think he's going to spare me from any suffering? Right? And maybe God is using... So I had a, a, a very good friend. He and his wife lost their third child to SIDS. Terrible. Uh, eight or nine months old. I didn't know him at the time. I knew him just afterwards. Strong Christians. What they say is, we don't know what God's role in it was, but what we do know is God has prepared us. And they spend the next 20 years talking to people who's who lose children at various ages car wrecks, cancer, and they were able to talk to them in a way that no one else could. I saw a hand, Tony, and then we'll come over. Yeah, no man's good, right, yeah. In other words, these things, they're neither good. I don't think there's many things in life that are good or bad intrinsically in and of themselves, right? Your house is necessary, 
Bigger house, smaller house, is that good or bad that I had to, I had to, I had to downsize my house? That's bad. Well, is it? If you pay an electric bill, it won't be bad, will it? You pay less electric bill. That's a good point. So she said, God didn't promise everything would be perfect. He said he'd help us through. And so if we were, if becoming a Christian meant that I didn't have bad things, right? My definition of bad, whatever that is, bad things happen in my life. You think we could get more Christians? Well, sure. Because Christians are rich. Christians have the best jobs. They don't suffer health problems. And if we do, we just go, God, please heal. And boom, that person's healed. Yeah, we'd have lots of people that claim to be Christians, wouldn't we? But that's not what Christianity is about. God didn't promise us. And why go to heaven? If things are perfect here on this earth, why would I long for somewhere where it is perfect? And I think that's a problem I've had in my life, and I think a lot of American Christians do. We got it really nice, and we don't long for heaven. Because how about we go to heaven after a few more summers, or maybe a couple more vacations, or maybe a little more time in retirement, or maybe a few more rounds of golf, or maybe, right? Maybe if I can get to retirement, enjoy my retirement years, then heaven. Because I want to enjoy my time here on this earth, and it's pretty good right now. No, 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 no. Sometimes suffering keeps us humble. Sometimes suffering says, hey, there's a better place coming. Tim? Yes. The people most well-equipped to deal with bad things and sufferings are the disciples of Jesus. And probably for several reasons. One is, we do understand God, and he's in control. Number two is, we do have a family around us. Number three is, we understand what Jesus went through. And remember, there's a, it's not just enduring it. I wish James just said, just survive the trials. Just endure the trials. But it's not. It says, count it pure joy. <clears throat> I can survive the trial, but you want me to rejoice in the fact that I'm going through a hard time? <sighs> Russ? Entire life, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Death, yep. And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm wanting to die tonight. But if you ask me tonight, do you want to go be with God in heaven? My answer is yes. Right this second. I don't want to leave Emily and the girls. I don't want to leave y'all. But I'm sorry. Everything else pales compared to heaven. Not even close. Not even in the same breath. So, uh, end of the story. They repent. They take AI like it's nothing with a great plan. And God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. He renews that promise with them. Thank you, everybody. We're going to get into some of the judges next week.